Good morning. We are going to uh, spend our morning with our focus uh, on heaven again. I think a very appropriate place uh, for some of us, I believe, who uh, already have mothers there and uh, others that we love so well. And heaven's a great place to focus upon. We've been on that theme for a little while now, and we will be on for a little while yet as we walk through some of the things that we understand about heaven and things that we've always thought were um, the issues of heaven and, and its description and all. And uh, it's good to just lay it out next to Scripture and find out what does God say about heaven. After all, he should know a few things about it, right? And his word has much for us today. So um, what I'm going to have you to do, uh, because... There'll be a little while till we actually step into the text itself. But if you work your way over to, oh, let's see, trying to decide. There's two places here. How about 1 Corinthians 15 would be a good place to kind of anchor your your thoughts here this morning. 1 Corinthians 15. You'll say, but pastor, we've seen this passage before here. Yep, we did. And I think it's good for us to uh, know it well, and we will look a little bit more at it today in 1 Corinthians uh, 15. I'm just going to start reading just for a few minutes from verse 51 uh, on through uh, a couple of verses here, and then we'll have a word of prayer together. 1 Corinthians 15:51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable and the mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, again, we are privileged to have your word in front of us. And we go back to a familiar and and, uh, well-loved theme that we all carry with us. The theme of that place that you are preparing that we will spend eternity with you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to have a glimpse at it again here today. And I pray that you might challenge our hearts with your word. Uh, Where you see room for us to be uh, corrected or adjusted, we pray that you might do that. Where we need encouraged, I pray that you would do that. In all things, we pray that you would draw us close to yourself. That when we come away, even this morning, from spending time in your word, we will repeat these words again. Thanks be to our God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for these things. We pray now that you help us as we open up your word and study from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week we walked through a uh, topic I called God's plan for heaven. The simplest view of all that was that there is a present heaven. Scripture tells us that. There is a future heaven. Scripture tells us that too. It is called the new heaven. The present heaven is created by God. Right? Alright. It has His throne. It has His temple in it. It is temporary. For we know Scripture says that it will be destroyed in the future. That's the present heaven. The new heaven is also created by God. Scripture tells us that. In it, we will find his throne. But we won't need a temple there. Book of Revelation tells us so. God himself and the Lamb himself will be its temple. Its duration is everlasting. Once it is created, it remains created. It's the one that Peter tells us in his second epistle. He tells us, that's the one you should be looking for. 
where we're looking to new heavens and the new earth in which, in which righteousness dwells. That's the focus. More times than not, that is what we talk about when we talk about heaven, believe it or not. We talk about a description from Revelation, and it is describing the new heaven that we will spend eternity in. And we'll get to that eventually, won't we? We're working our way toward that. Several weeks ago, I also addressed the occupants of heaven. Yet, at that time, I I had somewhat of a very limited view not that I was, I was limited, it's just I purposely limited our perspective as we talked about the occupants of heaven in a discussion on how do you know you will be an occupant of heaven. And that was my primary focus as we walked through those chapters. Uh, we know that scripture says you must put your faith in Jesus Christ. You must know him as your savior in order for your names to be written in the Lamb's book of life. And those will be the occupants of heaven. Those who have been saved by grace through Jesus Christ. It's stated in Scripture that you must trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. We've walked through this carefully together. Just so we know it well, uh, Jesus said himself that I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. That's a limited thing, isn't it? It's only through him. Only through him. Those are the occupants of heaven. And so I trust and hope that that is already something you have done. You have received Christ as your Savior. I trust that that's where you are. And the future of of heaven is already settled for you. If not, you know that I'm willing to talk to you about it. And I raise that again as an opportunity. Anytime you want, call me up. Trust me, I said anytime. Alright? You can call me at 1 o'clock in the morning. Give me a minute to wake up, but you could call me at one. I, I had a man do that once. Actually, a, a fellow from the church called me at one o'clock in the morning. But his reason for calling wasn't to tell me he, he wanted to talk about the Lord. He just caught up. He says, Pastor, I'm drunk. At one o'clock in the morning. He's like, all right, now what do you do with this one? Um, so if he could call me at one o'clock in the morning, you can too, okay? Uh, call me if you want. I'll talk to you anytime you want to talk about Jesus Christ. I'll talk about Jesus Christ with you. Alright? It's that important. Now, to get to the particulars, there are other occupants of heaven as well. And I'll draw the picture a little bit bigger just for a minute. There are angels there. We have all kinds of uh, descriptions of angels, very interesting groups of angels explained to us in Scripture, at least given pictures of seraphim and cherubim and living creatures and archangel, all kinds of fascinating uh, um, descriptions of angels. Someday maybe we'll do a study on the angels. That would be a lot of fun too. Um, They are created beings and they are there too. You will spend eternity with angels. Very interesting, huh? There are also Old Testament saints there. Old Testament saints, uh, men and women who live by faith. And I would add something about their living by faith. They did it with less information than you and I have. I am impressed every time I read of an Old Testament saint living by faith. Because all they had was a very limited amount of, well, even of God's Word, in order to anchor their faith to. They trusted in a God they could not see, which is the same as you and me. But you ha- and I have God's Word in front of us too. They, Many of them walked without that. And they walked by faith. And, and they believed what God had told them. And they believed that God had a solution for sin. And they were waiting for a Messiah. And they were anticipating these things. Well, we will spend eternity with them too. Old Testament saints will be there. Moses, David, Abraham, Sarah, all the list. Boy, it can go on and on this morning. That's why, if you want a side note, just for a thought, it's very good that you know your Bibles. You're going to be living with these people. All right? You want to have a good conversation with them, or are you going to want to, you know, I have no idea uh, what that is. Um, Learn Obadiah, learn all these other minor prophets especially, because you're going to run into those folks too. So, 
we know the Old Testament saints will be there. There is another group that will be there as well. We call them tribulational saints. Alright? Now, what are those folks? Those are folks who will live during the tribulation time, which has not yet happened. They will have faith in Jesus Christ as well. Yet, they will be living at a time that I believe is distinct from the present church age. It will be after the rapture of the church. So the church itself will be gone. The body of Christ will be gone. And here's another group of individuals who will live by faith. And they're unique. Many of them, I believe, will be martyrs. At least that's what Scripture suggests to us. But they will be there too. And that's going to be a great study someday. Uh, I was thinking about studying the tribulation with you. I was thinking of waiting till July and August, when it's really hot, uh, to study the tribulation with you. I, I was thinking maybe we should go there. But I think it's going to be fun to see what the music committee does with the music on that theme. Special music will be very interesting when we're on that topic. Uh, so, there will be groups from tribulation there that are saints as well. All right? There will be millennial saints, I believe. As well, folks who've lived during the millennial age, and that's going to be unique as well. So, put all these occupants together. We've got angels, we've got Old Testament saints, we've got present day church folks like you and I who believe in Jesus Christ. We have tribulational saints, we have millennial saints. Uh, of course, you add the fact that our Heavenly Father is there, the Lord Jesus Christ is there, the Holy Spirit is there. It's going to be very incredible. Very incredible. Those are the occupants of heaven. Now, you see why I said a couple weeks ago, I was very limited, because I was just talking to you, right where you are right now. Are you one of these who will be an occupant of heaven someday? Scripture tells us how that is possible, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why I limited it to that. Um, now, I'm going to do that again this morning and bring it right back down to this present church age. All right? Back down to where we are right now. That's you and me. And I'm going to talk about this present group that we are a part of and what God's plans are for you concerning heaven. All right? I'm going to keep adding to this as we go each week. So don't just take one chunk of this and say, that's all there is to it. There's a lot more. And I just don't have enough time unless you want to spend this whole day with me. We can walk through all these things, perhaps. But uh, today, we're just going to focus on one aspect today. And it deals with the believer in the church age. And I've got to set the parameters for you so you know what I mean by church age. All right? I believe that the church age began sometime around, or just roughly through a number, A.D. 33. It was the day of Pentecost. It's recorded in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, something unique happened on this earth that had never happened before, and the Holy Spirit came down and indwelt believers, put them into the body of Christ. It was a unique thing. The church started there. We can go through all kinds of New Testament verses to support that, uh, if you want that, just to know that it's supported in Scripture. But I believe that that's the beginning point of this, this era we call the church age. Beginning in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost took place. So the folks in this era includes people like Peter and Paul and Timothy, the apostles, the believers of the Thessalonian church, the believers of the church of Ephesus, the believers of the church of Philippi. We read of these folks all the time, don't we? They're right there in our New Testament. And we talk about these. These are New Testament church believers. Okay? Mark them in your mind. And march your way through history. 1st century A.D., 2nd century A.D., 3rd century A.D. Just keep counting all the way up to the present century. Those believers in Jesus Christ in all these centuries are also part of this church age. The group of believers that I'm addressing. All right? They include believers like a William Tyndale, a Martin Luther, a John Calvin, and I can't even begin to give you a whole list of those folks. 
History is just full of individuals who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and lived their life in that way, and we, we can put them in the picture too. So now you've broadened your picture of who is inside this church age. Starting with Acts chapter 2, all the way up to even the present day, including you and me, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as well. You're part of this church age. Alright? So far? Alright. Now we've got to find out, well, where does it end? If, if this is where it's still going on, uh, I believe the Lord will continue to add to this church until He comes for His church. All right? We wait for His coming. Future believers will still put their faith in Him. We'd like to think that maybe we're the last generation of the church age, that the Lord will come for us today, and I hope so. But we don't have proof that that's going to happen today. It could very well happen today. I don't set dates and I don't give numbers like that. But I do know he says he's coming, so I believe that. And I could very well be anticipating that today. I hope you are. But what if he doesn't? Then he's going to add another generation onto this list. And he's going to keep adding until he's ready to come for his church. That is the church age I'm talking about. Beginning in Acts chapter 2, continuing all the way to the present, and until the day the Lord comes for His church, which is identified, as we talked about before, as the rapture of the church. Up until that time, He keeps adding. He keeps adding. He keeps adding. That's the group I want to address right now. Because you're a part of it. And I want to address you in this fashion, because God has definitely shown us in Scripture how His plans of heaven relate to you. You in the church age. Alright? That's what we want to address. And the first thing I want to start with is, uh, the simple thing, our entrance into heaven. Start with square one. Obviously, I've, I've emphasized this, but I'll say it one more time. There is no entrance into heaven apart from Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There's only one door. And He's the door. There's only one way, and He's the way, right? We know that in Scripture. And so, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, that's where we are. So let's start with the assumption that you're a believer. And maybe you don't like that word, assumption. So let's, let's change that, Pastor. Let's say, let's start with the fact that I'm a believer. Okay. Work that out in your heart. Is this an assumption on our part, or is it a fact? Alright? You need to know where you stand with Jesus Christ. But let's talk about the next thing on your timeline. Say that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You will be leaving this earth. Is that a surprise? You will be leaving this earth. It's quite possible that you will leave this earth by death. After all, when you consider that so far... Of all the occupants on this earth, only two people, and those two in the Old Testament, mind you, have ever left this earth without dying. He said, but what about Jesus Christ? Did he die? Okay, he died, he rose again, and then he ascended. But I'm talking about two other individuals who never died. Do we have record of that in Scripture? Yes, we do. What's their names? Enoch. Elijah. Enoch and Elijah. Two individuals who, who never died. Now, you're not Enoch or Elijah, are you? Okay, so, right now, should things be as they presently are, God says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. If you want to support that, it's right there in Scripture. Death is a penalty and the consequence of sin. What can we do to change that? Well, honestly, humanly, nothing. Only Jesus Christ could give us a, a solution for the fact that it's a consequence and penalty for sin. But we are all sinners. Thankful for the issues of grace. <laughs> Thankful for what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
But in Adam's sin, we all died. And that includes physical death. That includes physical death. Death is the typical event, as we see from Scripture, that brings us to leave this earth. And should things remain as they are, that's what you and I can expect concerning our exit, if things remain as they are. Now, we will add to that this fact, that the church age has been given something that no other age has ever seen. And that, Paul says, was a mystery. A mystery is something previously hidden and now is revealed to you that you might see these things. You're in 1 Corinthians 15, and this is where he starts in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery, he says. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Is that all of us who believe in Jesus Christ? Yeah. We will all be changed. Then he goes on to describe an event. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. There's our emphasis again. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. That sounds like a change, doesn't it? What is perishable? Able to perish. Are we? Yes. What is mortal? Able to die. Are we? Yes. These will be changed. That's what he's trying to spell out so clearly for us. The perishable must put on imperishable. The mortal must put on immortality. Then will, when the perishable will have put on the imperishable... The mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Okay, now, we see there is something different in the church age, right? Something different is on its way. Keep your bookmark right here. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, another passage we've been through recently. But let's look at it one more time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant, brethren, about those who are asleep. What is the word asleep reference? They have died, alright? About those who are asleep, so that you do not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For I say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. All right. Two passages I just explained to you, or read to you here anyway, uh, describe what we call the rapture of the church. Of the church. What age are we living in? Church age. The rapture of the church. It's the departure of all church age believers from this earth. That's what it's depicting for us. The time when all church age believers will exit this earth. It will include those believers who are presently living at that time of the event, right? That's what we're always fascinated with. You say, hey, I want to be at that one. Wouldn't that be exciting? But he's going to take us up. As we are alive, we shall be taken up, Scripture says. Body and soul taken up to be with the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. That's what it says. It includes those believers who have died in the church age. We have seen that. It spells it out for us in several of these verses, but especially here. We believe, verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even though God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Verse 16, for the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. What's the end result? 
the dead in Christ will rise first. We see that information, don't we? What's that tell us? That those who have died in Christ, that they too will know this resurrection at the rapture. Their bodies will be resurrected to join them at that time. I used my words very carefully in what I just said. Did you catch it? Their bodies will be resurrected to join them at that time. Now, I'm going to spell that out in just a minute, but no matter what, I want you to understand. No matter what, you as a believer in Jesus Christ will be part of this event. It is event for the church. Whether you're dead or whether you're alive, you will be part of this event. This is the last aspect of what the Lord is doing with His church, and that's when He pulls them up to be with Himself. We will exit this earth. Alright? You won't miss the rapture. I guarantee it. That's what he says. So the fact remains. Just start with this. We will leave this earth, right? You have to. It will happen. What happens next? Let's start with a, 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 a viewpoint here. We're going to do this this week, and then next week we're going to go on the other side. Alright? For this week... We're going to talk about those who are in this first group who actually fall asleep in Jesus, as the term says, who, who die in Christ before the rapture. Let's talk about them. Alright? Because that's where, in the Lord, unless the Lord should come and get us, that's where we're going to be too. So, that's the majority of our thinking. Let's think. What about us who might be we're saved through Jesus Christ now if we should die? What next? What comes of us? I call this our pre-rapture heavenly experience. Alright? Well, it says a couple of things. Right here in your first Thessalonian passage. Let's look at them. Verse 13 and 14 again. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. He's telling us we don't need to grieve like others for those who are asleep. Why? Well, if we only knew what they were experiencing right now. Perhaps they're up there grieving that we're not with them. Ever think about it from that side? Concerning what they see, it says in verse number 14 that if we believe Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those, notice this phrase, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Now, look at that very carefully. God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. I believe that Scripture gives us evidence that the believer who dies goes to heaven to be in the presence of the Lord. I believe there's a lot of evidence for it. Consider just the logic of the sentence you just heard. Verse number 14. Just the logic of the sentence. If Jesus Christ is coming again for His church, and His church incorporates those who are living on this earth right now, and those who have died in Christ before, and He's coming to bring them to Himself, how could He bring some of them with Him? Doesn't it say He's bringing them with Him? Who's He bringing with Him? says in verse 14. Do you see it? Who's he bringing with him? Those who have fallen asleep. So if they come with him, where are they now? That's the only logical thing to come to, isn't it? You can't just say, well, I'm going to bring this with me, and you don't possess it. That's a, kind of a strange way to say something. But he says, I'm going to bring them with me when I come. So, they must be with him now. I'll give you better evidence of that, if that's not enough. Verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together. What's the next two words? With them. We're who alive and remain, if that's who we are, will be caught up together with them. Where are they? <laughs> They're already ahead of us, aren't they? 
couple of interesting things. They're already with him. They're coming with him, and they are with him, and we are caught up to be with them in the air. Verse 16, you say, okay, then pastor put this one together. Verse 16, the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Aha! They're not with him. Is that what that means? The dead in Christ shall rise up first. The dead in Christ shall rise up first. Paul doesn't explain that here. He does in the First Corinthians passage. First Thessalonians was written before First Corinthians, by the way. Thessalonians didn't need that information. The Corinthians did. So, if you kept your bookmark, let's go back to it again. First Corinthians 15, verse 51. Let's talk about the dead who are raised up. The dead who are first to rise up. Behold, I tell you, mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Remember this? It says in verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of eye, last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. What is he talking about here? What needs to be changed? Somebody said, the body. They're right. It's the body that needs to be changed. The body needs to be changed. What is it that has died? The body. The body has died. We're currently in a perishable body. Don't we know it? We are currently in a mortal body. Perishable subject to perishing. Mortal subject to death. In other words, Paul is teaching that there must be a change. A change that our perishable mortal bodies need altered in order to fit a heavenly environment. You do not live in a body right now that can handle heaven. Okay? Nor does heaven want your body up there. A perishable mortal body does not fit heaven. That's the whole argument of chapter 15 of of Corinthians. He says there's a right place for everything. And in order for you to be in heaven, your body has to be changed. In order that it may be capable of dwelling in heavenly environments. The body must be changed. Now, you know this and I know this, but let's say it so we know it so well. Think of this for a second. Do you exist beyond just a body? Is there more to you than just a body? I hope you think so. I really hope you do. You know, Adam was a body at one point. God fashioned him out of the dust of the ground, remember? Formed him, fashioned him, and then what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became what? A living soul. So he was a body before he was even a living soul. He was formed out of the dust. Ecclesiastes, a wonderful book to read, but not today. Mother's Day. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse number 7. He says, even in the Old Testament, that the dust will return to the earth as it was. And the Spirit will return to God who gave it. So we come to understand from Scripture that there's more to us than just bodies, right? More to us than just bodies. So if that is all true, it's very, very compatible with New Testament teaching to say that the body dies, but the Spirit doesn't. Now, understanding that point, it fits our Corinthian passage too, doesn't it? What is dead? The body. What needs changed? The body. Where are the believers who have died in Christ? With Jesus. When they come back with Jesus, what is raised up and joined back to them? A body. Alright? Now, but what, what, what do you do in the meantime? Well, let's look at a few things. Philippians chapter 1. Verse number 21, 22, 23. A couple of wonderful comments here. All from the same pen, by the way, of the Apostle Paul. He wrote Thessalonians, he wrote Corinthians, he wrote Philippians. And he says in, first, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 
21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But I am, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. I do not know which one to choose. I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. He gives us a start of a phrase right here in this. To depart. What does that mean to Paul? He is with Christ, right? Isn't that what he just said? To depart and to be with Christ. Present infinitive here in the Greek, which means continually with Christ. To depart and continually be with Christ. Do you see anywhere in that verse where he says, I hope so? Does he say, anyway, well, we'll see? He doesn't say that at all. He says it rather definitely, doesn't he? He says, to depart and be continually with Christ. Now, hang on to that thought and go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Come to love these verses, one through eight. They're they're kind of they're kind of complicated. He he sets a picture for you, and I'll just tell you what the picture is as we go through. He pictures the body as a tent. Now, most of you probably did not go buy your property, just set up a tent and say it's done. But you set up a tent perhaps to live in while you built your house, right? If you were in that, I know of friends in in uh, South Dakota or teachers up at Cornerstone, they actually have a tent there. They're living in a tent while they're building their house. In South Dakota, they went all the way through the winter in a tent while they're building their house. That tent is not permanent. And I'm sure they're thankful for that. You've got the picture of a temporary picture of a tent in comparison to the permanent picture of a house. Now, with that picture in mind, here's what he says. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that... What is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be what? At home with the Lord. There is something real simple in the construction of that little phrase. To be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Now, he doesn't put eventually in there. He doesn't put someday in there. He says to be absent from the body, present at home with the Lord. Right? Grammatically, that's the way it says. It speaks of events that happen simultaneously. In other words, if you experience one, the and is the other experience with it. Make sense? You have one, you have both. In this sense, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, I put all the pieces together. I just showed you a bunch of handful of verses, but this is a picture I get. We will be departing from this earth. Alright? We will be. By death or by the rapture? We will, if, should we exit by death, we will go to be with Jesus in heaven. That's what he has promised. When Jesus returns for the rapture, we would then come with him. Because that's what he just said. We will come with him to meet the rest of the church saints in the air. At that time, we'll be joined with our Physical bodies changed. Changed. From mortal to immortal. 
That's the way it outlines for me, as I see it. So, people would ask, then, the present occupants of heaven, they have no bodies? What are they doing up there? If they have no bodies, are, are they just spirits floating around? There's, there's all kinds of wonderful pictures I've heard from folks about what do they look like, what are they doing. Uh, I'll give you some of the hints we have from Scripture that might help you. Um, it would seem that there is some sort of shape or feature to those who are in heaven, and they seem to be in a recognizable form. Now, I'm going to use an Old Testament saint or two just to give you an example. Go with me to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17. Let's think logically as we go through these verses. Matthew 17. This is a section we call the transfiguration. Jesus is transfigured. He's changed into a glorious state in front of the disciples. Matthew 17, verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. To who? Who's them? The disciples. Just so we understand this, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. All right. Just stop right there. Remember who didn't die? Elijah. Oh, oh, we got Elijah here. We got a problem. Um, Elijah didn't die. So here he is, and uh, we say, okay, this is unique. What about Moses? Did he die? Oh, he did, didn't he? Uh, matter of fact, this is what it says in Deuteronomy. You can look it up sometime. 34, chapter 34, verse 5 and 6. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him. Now, that's kind of a clue that he did die. Alright? Just in case you want to know. They buried him. God actually says, He buried him in the valley of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no man knew knows his burial place to this day. Alright? So, we have a record. And then we have a very unusual, unusual verse in the book of Jude. Uh, verse number 9, it says, The Michael the archangel when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. We have no idea what they were arguing over, except the body of Moses. Why, we don't know. What Satan wanted to do with it, we don't know. But I could give you a clue, it wouldn't have been good. Whatever he does with things like that, I don't know, it would not have been good. But notice something. They're talking about this body. We're talking about God burying Moses. And nobody knows where his body is except these two angels who are fighting over the body. But when Moses appears in Matthew 17, is he recognizable? It says so. Is he capable of communication? He's talking. Now, who's he recognizable to? The disciples. Had they seen him before? Only separated by 1,400 years. Alright? No, they'd never seen him before. Unless, of course, it was flannel graph in Sunday school or something. Or they're wearing name tags, maybe. T-shirts that says Moses on the front. Or something like that. How do you recognize him? Well, I'll tell you what Peter thought. Peter's looking at these... Moses and Elijah standing before him, and he says in verse 4, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Why? Why build little tents for them to stay in? Because that's what you do with bodies. They need a place to rest says, well, here's a good idea, Lord. If there were spirits, would he have thought anything about building a little home for them to rest in? I don't think so. He's looking upon them saying, well, um, you need something set up for you to dwell here. You're going to stay here. It's going to stay. So let's build you something. So start with an assumption from, Mo, uh, from this picture. 
that they were recognizable, they seemed to have been in physical features anyway, something recognizable, and they were capable of communication and those kind of factors. All right? Add to it another story, and that's in Luke. Luke chapter 16. This also is a very recognizable story for you. Luke 16, verse number 22 is a good place to go. This is the story of Lazarus and the rich man. You know it well. Lazarus was a beggar. He was begging for bread under the table of the rich man. Lazarus died. Uh, He was just a, a mess physically at the time of his death. The rich man also died. We find Lazarus being carried away in verse 22. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. All right, now, start with this. Who said these words? Jesus Christ. Does he ever deceive? No. So, we can count on his words being accurate. Matter of fact, if anyone knows this, he knows it. He's telling this. Some people say, well, it was only a story. I don't think so. Not the way he presents it. He's spelling out, there was a rich man. And he talks about that. But as he gets down to this place, he gives a glimpse of Hades like this world has never known. He talks about an individual, this rich man, who is in Hades. Uh, if he is just a spirit, it says he was buried... If he is just a spirit, then explain a little bit like this. In verse number 23, he lifted up his eyes. In verse number 24, he has a tongue. In verse number 24, he is thirsty. It also says he's in agony. It also says he's in torment. He's capable of talking, isn't he? Alright, putting pieces together. What would you suppose this is trying to describe to you? A person who has absolutely no body at all? I don't think so. There's something about him that makes him recognizable to some degree. Something that has features, much like what we say a body would. What about the, the Lazarus here that's mentioned here? Well, according to verse number 24, he's got a finger. Right? He's also able, able to rest. He's comforted. We see that in here. He's asked to do things. Send him here, send him there. That means he's, he's, he's uh, uh, got mobility as well. Now, I confess all this material doesn't dogmatically say that we will have some sort of form or body in heaven. But I'll say this, the evidence points to it. And there is more evidence in Scripture that points to it than points against it. There's more evidence to say that there will be some sort of form, some sort of figure that we will have. Fingers, eyes, tongues, things of that nature. After all, I believe we're going to be up in heaven praising God. And I think this will be part of it. Using a tongue is what you're supposed to use, right? There's other things that we're going to walk through later that I will show you definitely that the events after the rapture, you must have a body in heaven for. Alright? I'm talking about prior to the rapture. There seems to be some sort of clue that there is some sort of presence that makes you recognizable. You will come back and receive your glorified body. So, other than that, I've never been there. So I can't tell you what else I could tell you about that. But this is what the Savior has promised. We will be with Him. We will be with Him forever. Should the Lord take us before that rapture, we will be going to heaven. And there we will be with all the other saints who are there now, worshiping Him, serving Him, resting from our labors, and anticipating the things that He is about to do which includes the rapture and the tribulation and the millennial and the eternal state. We will be there with the rest, anticipating those days coming real soon. Now, 
the events that follow the rapture are the ones that intrigues us perhaps the most. We're going to spend a little bit of time next week on that as we walk our way through this study. But I just wanted to at least touch base with you on this one point. That if you are absent from the body, you will be present with the Lord. Scripture promises that. That's a present day situation for those who have died in Christ. Present with the Lord. What beautiful terms those are. Present with the Lord. Let's stop right there. Let's talk to our Lord about that. For Heavenly Father, you know everyone in this room. And I trust that by faith in Jesus Christ, they claim this promise today because they know that Jesus Christ has dealt with the consequence and penalty of sin on their behalf. We believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again. We believe that his death was sufficient to cover our sins, for he died for our sins, that we might live to righteousness, that we might look to the heavens and the earth and to the new heavens and new earth that you're creating in which righteousness will dwell. You have raised our eyes up, Lord, up again to heavenly things. And we're excited by it. Thank you, Lord, that you have a plan. And this plan, though we only get glimpses of it, this plan is a beautiful thing. We truly anticipate, Lord, that you will come for us. But in the meantime, we do have hope. We have great confidence and we have great comfort in our hearts to know to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that. We need that today. We need to hang on to that truth. So we don't grieve like the rest who have no hope. I pray, Lord, that that might give us confidence for this week ahead. Whatever we might face, remind us again of your great love for us. And Lord, if there might be some still among us, though they've heard the gospel again and again and again, they've never received Jesus Christ as their Savior. May today be that day when they realize they need a Savior. And we have one. His name is Jesus Christ. I pray that they can receive him by faith today. Do that work in their heart that only you can do. And for the rest of us, Lord, we will praise you. We praise you for what you've done. And as we walk through our study, help us to comprehend it best that we might live for you with all that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.